Hello and welcome to Chick Flicks. I'm Mackenzie Chapman. And I'm Bridget Hovell, and in this episode of Chick Flicks, we are talking about two action movies centering around a badass, strong female character in a post-apocalyptic world, Mad Max Fury Road and Alita Battle Angel. But first, let's catch up. Mackenzie, I think I know what's on your mind. Let's just get (laughs) into it. Okay, of course I'm into normal people. If you know me at all, of course I'm going to be into it. Um... I last week when we recorded our Invisible Man episode or Chicklet, you were like, you should read Normal People. And then I did that night and I read it like so quickly. <laughs> and um, and then I watched a show that came out on Hulu last week. So you've just been mainlining Normal People. I know. Yeah, truly. <laughs> And it's about a young, very in love Irish couple who skirt the idea of them being a couple for like five years. It's the edging virgin version of being a couple. <laughs> yes. <laughs> they're just like, they are so bad at communicating. They have trauma, insecurity. They're just like, can't solidify the coupleness, even though they're in love. <laughs> but I like that it's a love story at its core and that it's about growth. TM. And learning about people and yourself. <laughs> it's a good quarantine watch, too, because it's very, a lot of pent up desires to pick. Yes. Yeah. And a lot of like just thinking, <laughs> which is like what we're all doing. <laughs> yeah. Just stuck with our A thoughts. lot of like a character just like looking out a window or like exactly. slowly cleaning up a kitchen. Yeah. Or like looking at grass. <laughs> so relatable. Yeah. Um, and then the second thing I'm into is the song Pink Pony Club by Rowan or Chapel Rowan, I think is how you say mm. her name. Um, but it's just a very like disco-y, western-y short ballad about her wanting to leave Tennessee and move to L.A. and how to tell her mom. And it's like every time I hear it on my Spotify, I want to dance and sing. Damn, I want to listen to that right now. It's so good. You should make a playlist of your song, Rick. I It's the way I, I send it to you. Oh, yes. Did you listen to it? Yes, yes, yes. Okay. And then the third thing I'm into is a collection of short stories called Man vs. Nature by Diane Cook. They're mostly post-apocalyptic tales that I wrote this down. Girl, do what you gotta do. That lay bare human fault. (laughs) I was like, there's no way I could say this, like, and it sound natural. So They're post-apocalyptic tales that laid bare human fault. Yeah. I was like, I just need to come clean. Um, but it's very, like, brutal and, like, like wild and about, like, humans being predators and, like, but also needing each other. And it's very dark and gross and sexy and sometimes funny. Oh, that sounds really good. I think I saw it is pe- really people good. reading it on Goodreads. Oh, okay. Yeah. And it's quick, too. And every story is really good. Like, I'll give you – I guess I'll give examples. Okay. Um One story is about a group of, it's like a post-apocalyptic future or like a dystopian future, I suppose. It's a dystopian future. It's not post-apocalyptic. But um, all the boys get at a certain age are decided if they're needed or not. And if they're not needed, they're incinerated. But a group of boys escape the incineration and live in the woods and have to learn to survive. And it is very gruesome. 
And then another one is um, the whole world is flooded, except for at least as far as you know, in this neighborhood, the whole world is flooded, except for two houses. And one house is just this one man and he like stockpiles a bunch of stuff and doesn't share it with his neighbor, but his neighbor lets a bunch of people come stay in his house. And it's about like needing human, he didn't stockpile human connection. Damn. Even though he stockpiled all that other shit. Another good quarantine pick. <laughs> yeah. What about you? What are you into? Um, so we've been watching What We Do in the Shadows, the TV show. Have you seen any of it? No. How is it? I was like, oh, what if this is just a stupid version of the movie? It's mm-hmm. like the exact same tone, exact same... I don't know. It's the exact same thing as the movie, you know, but in, okay, in TV nice. form, they, like the they do a really good job of kind of adapting it for television. And it instead follows a group of vampires living in Staten Island, which to me is funnier almost than New Zealand. <laughs> uh, like, yes, at one point they crash a, like a local Staten Island town council meeting, you know, um, and they also introduce different types of vampires, such as energy vampires which is in the form of this man named Colin who just lives a normal life and works at an, an office and he just leeches off of the va- like the energy of other people by yeah. being incredibly boring. Um, really, really good. Uh, if you're a fan of the movie, you have to watch the show. Um, I've also been watching Battlestar Galactica for the first time um, at my dad's recommendation. Uh, it's one of those TV shows that I think most people's perception of it has been shaped by Dwight on The Office. Uh, but it's really good. It's definitely a different sort of, uh, sci-fi story set in space. And I'm really Mm -hmm. excited to keep watching. Um, and then the last thing I wanted to recommend was the U S girls album for American doll. No, the album is called heavy light. The song I really Mm -hmm. like on it is called for American dollars. It's this very peppy song about capitalism. And the refrain is you can do a lot with four American dollars, but the point is basically like you can't and we're all screwed, but it's incredibly sunny and summery. And I love the contrast. Uh, been listening to that a lot. Mackenzie, are you ready to dive into two of, I think the juiciest movies we've ever done? Yeah, I feel like there's a lot to talk about. There's They're both so very much fun to talk to about. There's so much to talk about. <laughs> I also think my write-up for Mad Max is the best one I've ever written, and then the Alita oh, wow. one is the worst one I've ever written. Okay. Okay. So you read Mad Max, and I'll read Alita. <laughs> okay, sounds good. Uh, so we're talking first about Mad Max Fury Road, which came out in 2015. Water, gasoline, and mother's milk. The desert wasteland world of Mad Max depends on the hoarding of natural resources and subjugation of women and the poor. Ruling over the dirty masses and fanatical war boys is a Morton Joe, a grizzled warlord. His order is threatened when one of his lieutenants, Imperator Furiosa, frees his five wives and absconds with them across the desert in a war rig. Along for the ride is Max Rokotinansky, a silent loner whose survival becomes entangled with the women's mission of liberation. Um, that is nice. Good job. Thank you. You know, it just poured out of me <laughs> five minutes before we started recording. Um, I'm so excited to talk about this movie. I watched it last night for, I think the first time since I saw it in theaters five years ago. I have, I think I saw it twice in theaters because it, it's one of Ian's like so favorite movies. Good. So um, good. and, uh, but I haven't seen it in a very long time, but it is very good. It's so good. good. It made me think about how, by watching it, really good action movies use every action scene to further the story or invest you in the characters. 
Uh, I've joked a lot about on this podcast that I have trouble paying attention to action movies because I just don't care if there's like a random set piece in the middle of a film that doesn't Mm -hmm. do anything other than look like a spectacle. But this movie does spectacle and storytelling so well and seamlessly combines both of them. I think in A.O. Scott's New York Times review, he says, even the most chaotic fights and collisions, everything makes sense. This is not a matter of realism, come on now, but of imaginative discipline. And Mr. Miller demonstrates that great action filmmaking is not only a matter of physics, but of ethics as well. There is cause and effect. There are choices and consequences. Yeah, it's it's so true. So it's basically like a, a giant car race. Uh, that Another thing I really appreciate about the movie is it is set in this very vivid world of this post-apocalyptic desert society. We open up in this uh, encampment ruled by Morton Joe with these um, like fanatical men who follow him and his wives. Uh, but I think the movie treats its audience or assumes its audience is intelligent enough to just go with the story. You know, I think mm-hmm. a clumsier, yes, obviously there are like other Mad Max movies that you could watch and get more of a mm-hmm. context context Mm -hmm. but i think a clumsier movie would be like wait a second why do they have to do this oh it's because Mm -hmm. the war above you know like would have Mm -hmm. uh loaded this movie up with a lot of clunky exposition but Mm -hmm. the visual storytelling is so strong that you can infer Mm -hmm. everything you don't know by how the characters look by how they act by how they talk what the dialogue Mm -hmm. sounds like um, mm-hmm. it's just so masterfully done. Yeah, I agree. Um, every, and like what we were saying about action before too, like, uh, everything is very calculated yeah. and it's not just people like if there is a fist fight, which there are a few, um, there are also car fights, <laughs> but the fist fights, at least, especially, um, the one where Max meets Furiosa for the first time, it's very like calculated and that you can see them reacting and realizing things and changing the way that they're fighting mm-hmm. throughout the fight. Um, so it's just, it's very, it's a very like well-considered m- movie. Like everything feels very carefully considered. It truly is. Um, so George Miller directed the movie, George Miller of, you know, Babe in the City, <laughs> Happy Feet Happy fame. Feet. <laughs> and uh, he worked with his wife, Margaret Sixel, Sixel. Um, 6L, uh, who was the film's editor. And I don't think I'm just saying this because a woman edited the movie, but I think the editing is something that really stands out about this movie and sets it apart. Um, I was thinking while watching it last night that editing is one of those like unseen hand aspects of film create making, you know, like mm-hmm. you, any lay person can be like, I like the acting in that movie. I like the special mm-hmm. effects, but editing is something that done well is it doesn't really draw attention to itself. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just think she does like a wonderful job. Yeah, for sure. There's all, and I think like a lot that, and you, like you were saying with, there's no need for like a uh, clunky exposition. And I think that's the reason is mm-hmm. because the editing is so well done. Like the, at the end when Max gives his blood to, uh, Furiosa, you don't need to. You know what's happening, and you know why, and you and it makes sense to you as the yeah. next like logical step because it's been referred to a few times in the past, like multiple times in the past, and um, and there's a bunch of different instances of that. <laughs> yeah. So, um, 
I read we read an interview with uh, Margaret where she kind of talked about how she was very like unsentimental in her approach to and other men working in the editing room would kind of be like, you can't cut this shot of Max's car. The fans need to see the car. And she was like, no, they don't. You know, like mm-hmm. it's not important. It slows the story down. It's not important. Mm-hmm. I thought this was cute. She also said of George Miller, he's my biggest fan. He just likes everything I do. But I did bring my own sensibility to Fury Road. I'm not a Michael Bay fan. I don't like meaningless cutting. It irritates me. Nice. Margaret knows oh. what she likes. Yeah. I love it. Oh, she sounds so smart. <laughs> she truly does. And I think she won the, the Oscar for editing oh, this year. That, she would deserve it. So uh, yeah. she also is credited for the idea of the singing mice and babe. So which Genius. is amazing. <laughs> I love babe. I watched it Me too. recently <laughs> and cried a bunch. It's so good. So uh, another thing kind of important to talk about this movie is that it kind of made a big splash when it initially came out as being a very feminist action movie. So mm-hmm. there's this plot where Furiosa played by Charlie Theron breaks out in Morton Joe's five is it five or did I fucking make up that number? I I don't know. I think it's five. five sure. I think it's five. Uh his five wives and like liberates them and decides to save them and rescue them. Um and they leave in their wake graffiti that says we are not things. Um and I, I haven't seen the other Mad Max movies, but from what I understand they're very different about gender uh and have, you know, like rape and gendered violence in them. And this is the first movie in this series to kind of um, examine, not just examine, but really involve, uh, you know, female characters and their perspectives like this. What do you think about uh, the feminism in the film, if there is feminism? I think think it's feminist because ultimately at the end, they form a, like, coalition that's goal is to tear down the broken system and try and rebuild it as a more egalitarian system. Mm-hmm. Right. Like I think that's, and I think that's what feminism is about. Yes. I saw this. And I, th- Oh, go on. Sorry. No, go on. <laughs> and like, I think that a lot of like, I think that in terms of like the way the camera treats the women's bodies too, like I feel like a lot of people have an issue with the, shot where you're introduced to all the wives and they're like washing they're like hosing each other down basically but i feel like the camera doesn't really linger on them as much as it does on the like water and i also think that it in that same like moment it also shows them cutting off the like i don't know chastity belt Mm -hmm. i guess or whatever the hell that thing is which is like reminding you of how they've been treated and I also think that all bodies are commodified in this movie. Yeah. Like, like Max's is He's a blood as bag. well. Yeah, exactly. They call him like a blood bag, and the war boys are just like these weapons, basically that can be disposed of. And I think so. It does a good job of showing that the bodies are commodified without exploiting the actors' bodies. I think. Agreed. And I think that shot you're referencing too is pretty clearly like kind of from Max's perspective as well. You know, first he sees the women, then he sees the water and is kind of more Mm -hmm. um, desirous of the water. Um, Mm -hmm. 
I remember at the time this came out, this kind of prominent feminist commentator, Anita Sarkeesian, said she doesn't think this movie is feminist. And I remember she said, uh, as a quote, feminism doesn't simply mean women getting to partake in typical badass guy stuff. Feminism is about redefining our social value system. Sometimes violence may be necessary for liberation from oppression, but it is always tragic. Fury Road frames it as totally fun and awesome. And I have like a couple things I wanted to say about this. The first of which being like, I do think most films you cannot call feminist, you know, uh, Mm -hmm. like feminism implies like activism. That's really clear. Mm -hmm. I don't think most people can call themselves feminists, honestly, Mm -hmm. if you really think about like how serious that is and what it entails. But I also think if we keep this rule of hers, women (laughs) will never have any fun in movies or entertainment, (laughs) you know, like, yeah, but also like, she says feminism is about redefining our social value system. And I think that that is at the end yeah. what they are aiming to do. Like they make a conscious decision to go back and to try and help mm-hmm. everyone else and tear down like the broken system. And it and does seem it. like necessary violence in this movie. It didn't strike me as I yeah. thought of, you know, the movie Logan that came out, mm-hmm. the Wolverine movie. That is yeah. violence that to me seems like purposely gratuitous and really mm-hmm. gory. I don't think mm-hmm. this is a particularly gory, violent film. You know, mm-hmm. uh, we are constantly like reminded about bodies uh, mm-hmm. and the impact of violence in this movie. Uh, mm-hmm. So I just, yeah, just disagree with that for sure. And and they even address they they have moments of addressing violence like that. It, it they talk about it at the, least. The other they... wives say to Furiosa, like we pro- we said no killing. You know, she right. wants to kill Nux immediately. Yeah, uh, and they're they're hesitant to, um, right? And they kind of want to reimagine the world in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, Tom Hardy is in this movie. Mm-hmm. Recently on Twitter, a himbo <laughs> bracket went around, and Tom Hardy was my number one himbo. Who was your number one himbo? <laughs> Mine was Chris Evans. Oh yeah, which like, I mean. Chris Evans, that, I feel like it's easy. Yeah, he's <laughs> interesting because I think he really thinks he's smart too. You know. Yeah i I feel like he is okay, or like the, I'm the I'm attracted to him because of Jenny Slate. I know. I thought when you ranked him your number one himbo, I was like Jenny Slate got him to read Rebecca Solnit. So you know, it's like that is the but like I don't know anything about him aside from that. So I, like she vouches for me. And I'm like, he must be like, okay. It's so funny. Yeah. Anyway, so the number one himbo, Tom Hardy, is in this movie. And uh, I love his performance as Max. Uh, Me too. He is a tough guy with a soft interior. Uh, yeah. And he really, uh, I think his character arc is really interesting in this movie. He starts out as this loner who is willing to sacrifice kind of the, the women who are also trying to escape, uh, Immortan Joe. And then his path kind of becomes more entangled with theirs. There's this really lovely moment, um, where their war rig is being attacked by Joe's, uh, cars and the one wife known as splendid is kind of hanging outside and she almost slips and she grabs back onto the war rig and she looks up and she smiles at Max and Max smiles at her and then gives her the thumbs up. And because he's Tom Hardy, he does it in like the most awkward kind of like bizarre way possible, but it's such a, <laughs> it's like just a sweet moment. And you realize that he, mm-hmm. you know, is coming around. Um, his mm-hmm. toxic masculinity is being melted away and, and Charlie Theron, her performance as well. Mm-hmm. 
I yeah they they both do a lot with like just their feet like yeah there are faces you get a lot through the eyes very good eye performances here but every time they talk I'm like please stop talking the, the diet the writing the like dialogue is just so bad in this movie I think I'm, but yeah in like but it doesn't bother me it just like needs to be remarked upon that it's bad and then we can like yeah i think they tried he tried to do kind of a thing like a clockwork orange thing where he was like they're really gonna have their own dialogue and way of speaking you know right i I, well i think like their uh like um language i don't mind like Mm -hmm. when they have their like own new words because Mm -hmm. it's like a new world like um Guzzoline. Like guzzoline. Yeah. That stuff I love. I love that stuff. That's very creative and but like, when Max is like fresh to me. Hope is gone or whatever. Yeah, when when uh the one wife is praying and the other wife is like, What are you what are you praying to? And she's like, Anyone that's listening and I'm like, Jesus Christ. Yeah. Just... It's really not great. It's that's not great. <laughs> that's so true. Yeah. yeah. I also this is gonna be a very weird comment. But I read the relationship between Furiosa and Max as kind of like, I don't know if you've ever encountered this, but sometimes lesbians have special friendships with like a straight man, you know, where mm-hmm. they like, they see each other kind of in a, yeah, okay. a very like, like, like friends, a frank, yeah, friendly platonic way. <laughs> yeah. And that's yeah. what I read Max and uh, Furiosa's relationship as. I could see that. Yeah, like... Although, of course, I wanted it to be romantic. <laughs> oh, yeah. There's that moment, too. But then as I was watching it towards the end, I was like, they're peers. You know, they just are just peers. I think Furiosa reads to me like a queer woman, but... Yeah. I could see that, too. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> um, this movie made a lot of people angry when it came out because it's Mad Max is in the title, but it's mostly Furiosa's movie. It's a shame. <laughs> Oh, man. Uh, also, Nicholas Holt is in this movie, a.k.a. the boy from About a Boy. I know him from Skins. Oh, and also Skins, yeah. <laughs> I have no desire to see the other Mad Max movies, the ones that came before this with Mel Gibson. I, I don't know. I think I would probably have fun watching them. But I, but in sort of like, I, my expectations would be very different. Like, I would have fun watching them as like a campy 80s thing. Do you know? Like, yeah. Which I enjoy watching that type of thing. Um, but not so much as, like, this, I feel like, is so, like, just, just next, a good movie yeah. through and through. Like, a great movie. Anything else you want to talk about? I feel like we touched on the maybe feminism of the movie a bit. I think mm-hmm. you were kind of right in pointing out in our notes that it's kind of old school feminism. Very, like, second wave uh, ideas about gender and women. Uh, it did sort of feel like that. Like, I feel like, like in um, Roger, on the, not Roger Ebert's, but on RogerEbert.com, the review by Brian Tolerico mm. says, um, it's when he, they're talking about the, they consulted the writer of the vagina monologues to mm-hmm. make this movie, and they, he said, uh, which suggests that women, as the creators of new life, will inherently always be the gender that holds hardest on to hope for the future. Furiosa looks at the insanity of the male leadership around her and decides enough is enough. When one of Furiosa's wards goes into labor and still defends herself and her yet-to-be-born child, after being shot no less, it's hard not to see Fury Road as an answer to the macho nonsense that so often defines the action genre. 
And so that's, I don't know. I just feel, but then also I like heard this interview with that woman who wrote the vagina monologue. Eve, I'm so Eve, sorry. Uh, I don't know Eve, her. Eve something. Eve. Okay. Yeah. Um, and she was like, well, I, ta- I spent a lot of time like talking to actual women that are being like traded Right, like slave in the slave trade right now and i was like oh shit like maybe i don't know maybe i'm just wrong yeah it's it's tough too because you're like we will take any baby step in the right direction you know yeah. like mm-hmm. when there are terrible movies and representation still on film i don't know mm-hmm. I th- and like i said like overall like i think that it's feminist in the way that it like they're invested in creating a new better world that good for everyone mm-hmm. although i do wish that max stayed to help them rebuild because then Me he too. would have been a true ally yes <laughs> agreed agreed that was that part is a little melancholy <laughs> um mackenzie do you want to get into these uh one-star reviews yeah let's do it there is a dominant warrior heroine charlie Saron, and totally out of place beauties who do not belong to that world Miss Theron is utterly beautiful, her- beautiful herself, but she was not depicted as such in the movie. <laughs> wrong. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just, just wrong. <laughs> yeah. Um, the second one is, here it is. The future consists of a whole bunch of really ugly people, some feeding on breast milk, others on live reptiles and bugs, driving ugly souped up trucks that spit flames while play drums and guitar and chasing and shooting at each other. I think a good indicator of whether or not you're going to jive with this movie is how you feel about the guy playing the guitar in the war party. And yeah. I feel like it's great and fun. Yeah, I love him. <laughs> I, I love, it. love it. Every time I saw him, I was like, yeah. It just it sets a mood. You know, they're like a bombastic war culture. They would definitely yeah. have their own version of a drummer boy Yeah, for intimidation. It it tracks. Yeah. It, it works. Yeah. Um, I'm going to give this movie a 10 i think it's wow. a perfect film no i'm gonna give it a nine okay <laughs> it's a nine what about you i'm gonna give it oh. i'm gonna give it a nine because the 10 for me is reserved for like my my personal like absolute faves and while this i i do it is like it's like just a notch down from one of my absolute faves i feel like um it's it's really good um but i just don't like crave to watch it Mm -hmm. that much yeah i was okay with watching this once every five years it turns out yeah yeah (sighs) so good all right let's jump into our uh, our our next movie Our next movie is Alita Battle Angel from 2019. When Dr. Ito finds the remains of a cyborg amongst junk expelled by the floating city of Zalem, he knows this girl is special. She is Alita, a warrior cyborg from another time, one especially equipped to kill. Alita, now conjoined with the body of Ito's dead daughter, can barely remember her past life, but she jumps wholeheartedly into her new one. She makes friends, falls in love, becomes a bounty hunter and even starts to compete in iron city's number one pastime motorball is there anything alita can't do as you were reading it i was like yeah like you know she makes friends she falls in love she becomes a bounty hunter it's your everyday 
you know, teenage girl stuff. <laughs> um, when this movie started, we had seen it before. Yeah. But Ian was like, what's that sport they they play? Is it murder ball? And I was like, kind Maybe. of. And then, then we discovered it was actually murder ball. But it could be murder ball. This movie definitely has a weird relationship to death. Like, what are the stakes if anybody can come back in cyborg form? Yeah. Yeah. It is very weird. This movie has just weird stakes all around. <laughs> it's it's definitely the tone of the movie is somehow calibrated to be both for adults and children in a way yeah. that I don't even think like a Marvel superhero movie is because yeah. it's so much more simplistic and right. kind of like low-key hokey. Mm-hmm. Uh, directed by Robert Rod- Rodriguez, who, mm-hmm. as you've told me, I blacked this out and then I re-remembered it. He directed Spy Kids. Yes. <laughs> I like forgot and then remembered again. And written. But he also did the like spinoff of like the machete ones. Oh, and like yeah, I think yeah, he yeah. was involved in like Death Proof. And like, okay. so it's like, of course it's. So Spy violent. Kids was just a one off. <laughs> <laughs> well, Machete's based off of Spy Kids. It's an extended universe. Are you serious? Yeah, because their uncle is the Machete you- character. He- it's not just the same actor. It's the same no. universe. It's the same universe. Are you serious? I'm, I'm serious. Right, well, we're going to have to do an episode on Spy Kids and Machete <laughs> now. But this was also written and produced by our old friend, friend of the pod, James Cameron. And so whenever anything kind of remotely weird was happening, I was like, James Cameron. And at one point I was like thinking to myself, James Cameron, you big old perv. And then I was like, is he or is he just a regular perv? Because all of the things I think he has weird hang-ups about are, like, normal, middle-aged, yeah. older man stuff. It is so, like, like you were saying how, like, the weird, it's weirdly, like, for kids and adults. It's like, she, the way she speaks is often so juvenile, but then she'll, like, come up with, like, a line that sounds well, she'll like... she'll swear. Yes. Yeah. She says fuck at one point. And I was like, excuse me. Yeah. She was like, she, that's when she like shoves her arm into the, someone's eye socket and it's like, fuck your mercy. And I actually, I loved that line. I thought it was like really good, but, um, I actually love that whole sequence, but, um, so yeah, I guess if you're talking about like stakes and especially comparing it to Alita or sorry, yeah. if you're comparing it to Mad Max, it's very, there's similar like uh there's similar worlds in that it's like post-apocalyptic there is a society that's being like taken advantage of and they are striving to um like make it better i guess or but in kind of through being a star athlete i know that's the thing like alita it's different a little bit in that i think Iron City, if it wasn't being exploited by Zalem, it would be a fine place to live. It looked like fine yeah. to me. Like it <laughs> no looks, one like was that deep in poverty that we could see. Right. It wasn't like Mad Max where you're like these people are like gonna die. Yeah. At any moment. Like <laughs> um and it was very clear I guess it I guess and Morton Joe and the like oasis that was on top of the Citadel could be comparable to Zalem Mm -hmm. in that way I guess um but Alita her motivations are always very like ambiguous to me like she 
thinking about that scene that I love so much, which is a bar fight uh, where she becomes a bounty hunter and goes into the bounty hunter bar and tries to rally her fellow bounty hunters to kill this one uh, guy, Bounty, who is wanting to he murder bad. her. Yeah, and he's bad. Yeah. Um, but... And in that in that bar fight, she says, "I will not stand by in the face of evil or whatever." She has like this like cool like I'm going to take down evil line. But the reason she is there really is not to take down evil. It's because she's like retaliating against her dad. Yeah, because her dad said he won't put her in the right body. So she's like, okay, fine. I'm going to go rebel, which is like also a valid reason to yeah. like go and act out. But it's not like this uh, like the quest for justice for all people. Ex- exactly. To give a little more context to that. So Ido finds Alita as just a head with all of her good <laughs> cyborg stuff in it, I guess. And he puts her on his dead daughter's body, which is yes. very weird and kind of sets up a consistent tone of weird dad vibes the movie has pervasive weird dad stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and Alita the whole time is like, this isn't my body. I feel weird. It's the body of like a teenage girl, preteen girl, kind of unclear. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they discover her old body, which is like the warrior body that mm-hmm. is especially made to kill. And she eventually is able to get into her old body. And she's like, this feels so much more like me. Um, there's a very weird scene where Dr. Ito is attaching her to her old body and the body is morphing into her idea of herself, which is a cool thought. And it's clear in that scene that she has boobs or of more of a womanly body. And the nurse who is helping the operation is like, I guess she's older than we thought. <laughs> and I don't mean it's weird because it, Alita thinks that she's older and has boobs. Mm-hmm. It's weird that they were infantilizing her because she's like a killer robot. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is weird. Her motivations, it's like if it was a story where she wanted to, if it was more obvious that she wanted to learn about her past as a motivation, mm-hmm. I think that would have made the movie kind of more cohesive cohesive, and mm-hmm. had more of a gel. But it was like, yeah, is she trying to save Iron City or other people? Not really. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think that speaks to the movie's weakest points are it definitely had the confidence of a film that would have a franchise to follow it. Yeah. When it definitely won't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I And oh, another weak point of this movie, I think, is the romance. And I think that uh, her motivations shift from mm. just <laughs> like... It, it's sort of confusing you don't know if she like you said it's like disjointed because you don't know if her motivations are to recover memories of herself or like are inspired by the memories that she does recover that say that Zalem is bad and that the leader of Zalem is her true enemy but really her motivations are inspired by Hugo whose dream is to go to Zalem and live there and that becomes her main driving thing is that she wants to get enough money and be able to go to Zalem be- yeah. and live with Hugo, which is just... Hugo is this Aladdin-type street boy <laughs> who uh, Mackenzie said looks like he's a Disney Channel actor. He does <laughs> look so like true. I, Even I though him. she was an animated person, she looked weirdly older than him. Yeah, and acted older than him, too. 
which is weird to say because she also at some point acted like at some points acted so young you know that must have been a difficult casting decision because if they did someone older than the actor they ultimately went with for hugo it would have been really creepy yeah it's yes because she does have moments where which is also strange when they're like oh i guess she's older and you realize that she's 300 and you realize that like she's a like a battle robot but she's still her if her personality her personality is obviously different yeah like she somehow like is I was like, why is she by that too like because there's a, a scene where Dr. Ito is like looking at her brain scan and he was yeah. like, there it is, the healthy brain of a teenage girl, as healthy yeah. as they can be. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. I know. <laughs> there's a lot of that. And that's uh, her dad is played by Christoph Waltz. And there's a lot of really good actors in this movie who I was mm-hmm. like, how on earth did they get these actors in this film? Mahershala Ali is in this movie mm-hmm. as one of the mm-hmm. villains. Jennifer Connelly. Uh, Christoph Waltz, spoiler, Edward Norton is in it at the very end. He also yeah, thought Lana there would be Condor. a sequel. Lana Condor of P.S. <laughs> I Still Love You fame. Yeah. <laughs> Rosa Salazar plays Alita of Parenthood, the television show fame. Um, <laughs> another thing we should probably talk about is Alita is based on a manga series, mm-hmm. but... Rosa Salazar is a Latina actress portraying mm-hmm. Alita, and there was some mm-hmm. controversy and criticism of that. Um, this is another property which uh, can rightfully be described as whitewashing, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, Rosa Salazar was very vocal about what her representation as a Latina actress means in the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, she said, you know, this is the next wave of Latino casting. Um, but I think uh, we read an article by Chris Lee and Vulture. And a lot of um, Asian critics pointed out, you know, Alita is the only character who has big eyes, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and that the this just tried to kind of remove any of it, the original source materials roots. I don't mm-hmm. know. I think yeah. it's, I don't know if I we're think, the right group to talk about it, you know? Right. And I think, especially with like, um, the character of Alita is just like, ambiguous to me. I guess maybe because she is like her full body is a cyborg and her name is like of Spanish origin, Mm -hmm. like Spanish language origin. And it's like, okay, that, and I'm happy to see a Latina actress get cast, you know, Mm -hmm. but I think like, but I obviously I'm not like the authority on that. So Mm -hmm. like, like tell me I'm wrong. That's okay. Um, but what did bother me even more is that Dr. Ito is white. Yeah. <laughs> his name is like of... clearly Japanese. Yeah. His, and his full name is even more Japanese seeming. Yeah. Well, I, yeah. So that, that to me was like the more glaring, like, okay. Whitewashing. Dude, like what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What did you think of the CGI used to make Alita's eyes big? I was fine with it. Like, you kind of do like, forget about it. Yeah. I agree. Uh, yeah. It's not the worst thing i've ever seen yeah <laughs> you know a lot of and people. i think rosa solicer's performance is really good so like she 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 pulls it off i think yeah she definitely does um people loved her performance and i guess that's a good segue into kind of talking about the two disparate fandoms of alita <laughs> battle angel um we can talk about kind of the more positive one first which is that um there have been numerous trans readings of this movie. Um, Willow McClay writes in Cherry Picks 
Uh, on the surface, Alita Battle Angel has little to do with being transgender. In the movie, Dr. Dyson Ito finds the head of an AI super soldier in a garbage heap and saves her by giving her a new body. When she awakens, she must figure out who she is, where she comes from, and what her new body means. Um, Alita isn't particularly different from most movies in this genre, except that the young woman in question is a robot who has to figure out what her body means and how she can change it to better fit herself. That's where trans women like me relate. Um, And then I think, like, in terms of maybe some of the confusion that we're having in this movie about Alita's age and just, mm -hmm. like, the, like, disparity in tone. Yeah. Um, I think if... Maybe if we did look at this movie more as, like, a coming-of-age movie Mm. or, like, a puberty movie, it would make more sense. And then Willow, in her article, says... Coming out has become a natural extension to coming-of-age stories. Stories about teenage girls give trans women a chance to experience the adolescence she wanted from secondhand images and sources. I think that's, like, a really lovely reading. Yeah, for sure. Another critic, Esther Rosenfeld, writes in a Medium post, um... So Alita starts off with this battle, I mean, this body that belongs to Dr. Ito's dead daughter. Ew, weird. (laughs) (laughs) Esther writes, it's only after a reckless, one might call it suicidal decision, destroys the body Ito gave her that he agrees to put her in the new one, which is kind of her more suitable body. And when he does, the new one begins to change. It reshapes and reforms itself to, as he puts it, match her subconscious image of herself. She doesn't look like his daughter anymore. For the first time, she looks like herself. And she even has dialogue directly afterwards that's like, this feels so much more like me. She meets Mm -hmm. Hugo and she's like, my new body is super sensitive to touch. (laughs) It's just clear it's a better fit for her. And I think that is a very meaningful and like lovely read of the film. Mm -hmm. For sure. Yeah. Then the other group of people who have really connected with this movie are... Um, the alt right, the alt right, <laughs> the uh, leader army. God, we could get really into this. I found like I put a ton of stuff in the doc that I don't think we can all all the way wade through. <laughs> I think to summarize it, this movie came out at the same time as Captain Marvel, and mm-hmm. members of the alt right, such as uh, Jack Posobiec. I don't know how to pronounce his name. He sucks. He's on Twitter. Uh, <laughs> he's an alt right celebrity. He started the campaign known as the Alita Challenge to rally support for Captain Marvel's apparently apolitical female-led rival. So a lot of people flock to this movie thinking that it doesn't have SJW values and is an apolitical film, which after watching it is truly insane to think that this movie is not apolitical. Right. Like we were talking about, like the two different... um the rich people live in a city that floats above the poor city. Yes. <laughs> you have to fight to get to the rich city. You have to yes. fight other poor people. Um, but I think there is kind of a weird perspective on Alita herself that I can see why these people would like. She is very young presenting. She doesn't really have a more overt empowerment arc that would threaten I think certain viewers, Mm -hmm. I don't know. She is, she dresses like a child, you know, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. It is. Well, I don't know. I don't know either. It's hard to get in the mindset of those types of people for me. Like, it's all right. I just, it's hard for me to like. Yeah. (laughs) So I don't know like exactly what they see in this, but especially like, like in that um, 
Yes, the independent article, that person who wrote it. Adam White. (laughs) Adam White says, uh, Curiously, it is baffling to talk of Alita Battle Angel as an apolitical movie. In truth, it's arguably even more far... Uh, far more liberal in its politics than many of the other quote SJW unquote movies the hashtag Alita Army of Wage War Against featuring none of the military fetishism of Captain Marvel nor the performative widely criticized like quote girl power end quote lip service in the likes of Avengers and Gamer X-Men Dark Phoenix yeah it's just so insane to think this movie doesn't have politics in it yeah it is weird it's baffling and Alita is a sh- I don't know. It's, Are they just like horny for this robot? Is that Yeah, what it I is? think it is. I think it yeah. is. there's a lot of that. There's it's a funny phenomenon online that like if a film account tweets like what's a great movie to watch on a Saturday night or like what movie was sent up by the Oscars, you mm. will just find Alita fans in every thread <laughs> being like Alita. You know, and I wouldn't mind seeing a sequel to this, frankly. Like, I, I thought it was an, it was interesting world building. I, by the end of it, even though I was, like, confused by Alita's character, I, maybe that's a good thing. Like, maybe, maybe you need to see I, more of her. Yeah, I feel like she had, like, more to offer, you know? Like, because she had different things going on, you know? And so I... <laughs> Like I said, she was falling in love, making friends, being a bounty hunter. She has like eight jobs. Yeah. Yes. And that's another part that I liked where that quote where. um, Oh, Emily Emily Yoshida, I think. Yes. Where she was like, where Alita Battle Angel is as much a story about body alienation and body acceptance as it is about a girl just trying to figure out the best career for her skill set. And when viewed that way, it's quite relatable. You know, I love that. It's true. She's like, am I going to be a star athlete or am I going to be a ruthless killer? Yes. Why not both? Yeah. Yeah. And in this world, they're sort of the same. That's true. I mean, it seems that there's a huge overlap with a star athlete and people who want to kill her. Yeah. Mo- uh, motorball, murderball is like every post-apocalyptic sports. It reminded me of Tron. It reminded me of mm-hmm. that movie that came out, wrote... Endgame, no, Ender's Game? Uh, uh, not Ender's no. Game. At the Ender's Game, yes, but also the one where it's they the go, video pop game. Pop culture. Fuck, what's pop, that called? Yeah. <laughs> I was, Ian was talking about it, too. He was like, it reminds me of the race in... In Steven Spielberg. It's okay. We'll think of it eventually. Uh, maybe in the meantime, I split up the reviews for Alita because there's just so many different feelings about this movie into 10-star reviews and 1-star reviews. Um, I can start with the 10-star review. Ready Player One. Ready Player One. We were so close. <laughs> we were so close. I said Rogue One. I was like, it's uh, So this is a 10-star review. I will not stand by in the presence of evil. An inspiring line spoken by the protagonist in Alita Battle Angel when facing an indomitable and frightening villain got me thinking that I will not stand by in the presence of clueless movie critics giving lukewarm reviews to this excellent movie. People who love this movie love this movie. Mm-hmm. And then the next 10 star review is finally a film with no politics. It really shows that no politics don't need to be involved in everything. This person is, it's, I don't get it. I like, just I just get don't get either. when people like, what are, do people I think politics is just when women can speak or like have opinions. <laughs> That's when it's political. It's so weird. Um, and then there's this one star review. 
This is the third movie I've ever walked out of, laughing the entire movie at the horrible acting, eyesore of CGI, and wasted cast. Every character only spoke in regurgitated words of wisdom. Also, they killed the only good thing about this movie, the cute dog. That happened in the middle of the movie and was the final nail in the coffin. I did think it was unnecessary. And then I, Alita paints the dog's blood on her face. I, yeah, I thought it, the dog didn't have to die, but I did like that she was so uh, like hurt by it. And I liked that she put the blood on her face. And I liked that the dog-themed bounty hunter in the bar supported her because she care for the dog the dog literally shows up for that scene just to die she's like oh i remember you as it walks into the bar (laughs) it is a really cute dog and i will say quickly that the night before we watched this we watched crimson peak for the first time and that movie i don't know if you've seen it yeah has a cute little dog that befriends Mm -hmm. the the protagonist and then is murdered and i was like oh twiggy small dog representation look at this brave small dog and then it dies and then we watched alita and i was like look twiggy small dog representation this dog and this, is so brave. this dog is like a blonde twiggy yeah basically and so brave so yeah sad to see all these small dogs getting the short end of the stick in hollywood <laughs> yeah they never kill big dogs yeah what does that say hmm? <laughs> <laughs> oh wait let's give this our rating our final rating uh, yes good alita good. battle angel Mackenzie, you go first I'll give it a five because overall, like, I do think this is a fun movie and um, I do wish it got a sequel, too. So, uh, yeah, a five, not to copy you, but a five does feel perfectly right. You know, Mm -hmm. it was much more like legible and fun to watch than I expected. Um, And I'm always down to watch like a sci fi. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Girl quest movie. So. Mm -hmm. James Cameron, keep doing you, buddy. <laughs> Hope the next one's good. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, if he decided to, I bet he could just like make another one. Well, he's been trying to make Avatar too for literally ten years. So, yeah. James Cameron, time to clone yourself. <laughs> it would really help us out if you left us a review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at ChickFlixPod and email us at ChickFlixPodcast at gmail our next episode will air on May 11th, and we'll be talking about Eve's Bayou and Practical Magic. Chickflix is researched and written by Bridget Hovell and edited by Mackenzie Chapman. Many thanks to Team Grief Girls and for our music, and thank you for listening to Chickflix. Hashtag Alita Army. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> we shouldn't be wanting to be associated with that, I think. You're right. 